Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Guest Pastor C.R. Wiley on July 11th, Lord's Day Service. Good morning. Good to be with you today. And uh, I am going to be taking you to a very familiar parable. It's found in Luke's Gospel. It's a parable known as the parable of the prodigal son. It begins in verse 11 and uh, goes all the way to the end of the chapter. Now, uh, the letters of my Bible get smaller every year, so if I uh, stumble a bit, that's uh, because of that. But here we go. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger and uh, the younger of them said to his father, "Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me." And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to, into the, his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but He answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's nice to be back where there's humidity. You know, I'm out in the state of Washington. It rains a lot there, but there's no humidity. It's amazing. I don't know how it works. I think rain, I think humidity. There it rains, no humidity. It's just like dry, really dry all the time. But, uh, you know, I get off the airplane back in Connecticut. That's where I was before I came down here. And whew, hit me. I thought, ah, boom. This is, this is uh, what I'm used to. And another thing about humidity is it makes, it makes, you know, things, well, aroma and smells and other words you could use for things that hang in the air that your olfactories pick up. You know, it, t humidity helps with all that. So you can smell a lot of stuff back here in the east that you just don't smell out west. Anyway, good to be with you. Um, I'm really pleased to be here today with you. Uh, I had a chance to spend some time with the elders last night, and it's been a lot of fun already, uh, connecting a little bit. Um, my, uh, my oldest son and my daughter-in-law live up in Nashville. So I flew into Nashville, didn't get to see them though, hopped on a, in a car and drove down, but it's not too far from here to there. And uh, I'll be getting into that area uh, quite a bit probably in the next uh, you know, few years because our first grandbaby's on the way. And uh, she'll be uh, entering this world uh, in uh, August. So we're excited about that. And then our second son and his wife are expecting as well. So we got two grandbabies on the way. So we're really pleased about those things. And as I read a, you know, this parable, I think about my sons a little bit. Not in the sense that they you know, identify with these characters in this parable, but I have two sons. <laughs> so, so it's easy to kind of imagine, you know, what, what the, you know, the dynamic uh, can, can be like. Um, this uh, parable, of course, parable of the prodigal son, uh, you know, is uh, about, obviously, a prodigal son. But uh, there are more prodigals in the story than just that son. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the, what I mean when I say that. There's more than one protagonist, of course. There's the father, right? Then there is the uh, older son, and then there's the younger son. And I really think that in order of importance, in terms of what we should kind of glean from the parable, in terms of the things to take away from it, um, the lessons we learn about the father and the older brother are, are even more important than the lesson we learn about the younger brother. So in my mind, anyway, the order of importance is father, older brother, younger brother, uh, but everybody focuses on the younger brother because it's so dramatic. It's such a marvelous story with such a happy ending, right? You know, we can all kind of be excited. Uh, it's, like a, it's like one of those uh, testimonies you get when you uh, hear, you know, the, the choir from Teen Challenge come to your church, you know, and explain to you how Christ, you know, delivered all these guys or delivered, you know, a guy from drugs or whatever. And, and it's, it's just marvelous to hear stories like that. But I'm going to move uh, in the uh, reverse order. I'm going to start with the younger son and then go to the older son and then uh, reflect with you on what we can learn about the father at the end. But the, uh, the verses that have to do with the younger son are verses 11 through 20, uh, 21. And I think it's worth uh, noting that the word prodigal comes from the Latin prodigious, which means lavish or wasteful. And uh, the word is not actually in the parable. This is a, a term or a, a label that we've uh, given to the parable. 
But uh, each of the protagonists in the story is lavish or wasteful in his own way. And I'd like to think a little bit about that with you as we think about the characters. So with the younger son, he receives his inheritance. He says, essentially, Dad, you are not dying quick enough for me. I want you to give me what's coming to me now. I don't want to wait. And uh, the father does it. Gives him a third of the estate. Now, this is assuming that there aren't any other brothers. And uh, it's assuming that you understand how you know, the inheritance was distributed to sons in Israel. If you want to, to, to see where I uh, turn to understand that or to learn that about that, you go back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21, and there you, you, you'll see uh, a little explanation concerning about the uh, inheritance rights of the firstborn. So let me read this to you. It's from, uh, as I noted, Deuteronomy chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. Now, there's actually, as you listen to this or as you hear this, you might, you might pick up uh, a, a critique uh, in, in, uh, of Jacob and what he did in terms of the, his distribution of inheritance to his sons at the end of Genesis. Um, and I'll note why in a second, but here's how it reads. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, who does that bring to mind? Right? And both the loved and the unloved have borne him children. And if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then on the day when he assigns his possessions as an inheritance to his sons, he may not treat the son of the loved as the firstborn in preference to the son of the unloved, who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the first fruits of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his. So the firstborn gets a double portion. If you have two sons, that means he gets two thirds of the estate. It means that the other son gets one third. That's why I infer from this that the younger son got a third of the estate. But the two thirds went to the older son. Now, my comment my aside on Jacob and his sons Joseph if you recall the end of Genesis when the blessings are being pronounced Joseph has his two sons come to his father Jacob for a blessing which essentially means that he's getting a double portion he is the oldest son of the of the wife who was loved the uh, oldest son of the uh, the wife who was unloved was Reuben he didn't get a blessing You'll have to go back and read the, the story to, to see what I mean by that. In fact, when you read the, the blessings you know, of Jacob to, uh, you know, upon his sons, there are only two <laughs> that, that were really blessings. The rest of them were basically, you're a rotten kid. You were just a rotten kid. You know? Anyway, he was a tough father. Um, now, in this story, uh, we, we, dis we, dis we can easily discern that in one sense, the younger son was a son, but in another sense, he was a slave. He was a slave to his appetites. As soon as he receives his inheritance, what does he do? He squanders it. He spends it. You see that in verses 13 and 14. And uh, it, just is, it just evaporates, uh, and uh, he's left holding nothing. And then things go from bad to worse. There's a famine. 
and he finds himself at the end of the day feeding pigs. The most humiliating thing a Jewish boy could be, uh, you know, find himself doing. So he finds himself in this situation. And then we're told in verse 17, there's this marvelous phrase, he came to himself. Have you ever thought about that phrase, he came to himself? Where was he all the time? He wasn't apparently with himself. <laughs> he came to himself. He, he came to himself and he recognized himself for what he, what he was. Now, what, what are you left with when all, when all the money is gone? Yourself. <laughs> so that's it. He, he comes to himself and he sees himself for what he is. And because he sees himself for what he is, a slave, he thinks of himself in terms of his prospects as a slave should. He says, I'll go back to my father. My father's servants are treated far better than I'm being treated here. I'll go back to him and I'll say, Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I've behaved like a slave. Let me live as a slave in your presence. Let me be treated like another servant in your household and I will serve you the rest of my days. He comes to himself. He recognizes himself for what he is. He expects to be treated like a slave. He goes home and guess what happens? He's not treated like a slave. He doesn't get what he deserves. Instead, he's restored to sonship. Look at verse 22. There in verse 22, we're told that uh, he is uh, restored and the symbols of his sonship are given to him. The father says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. Usually that implies the signet ring symbol of the house and his authority as a son and shoes on his feet servants are shoeless sons wear shoes so he's restored to his position now in a sense you could say this was some wasteful this was, this demonstrated a kind of wasteful disregard for all of the wasteful disregard uh, of the uh, younger son in a sense you could say that the father was lavish wasteful, prodigal with his resources. But was he really? Was he really? Let me just leave that thought in your mind in parentheses. And let's move on to the next character in the story that I'd like to reflect on with you a little bit. And that's this, the older son. Now, we're told about the older son in verses 25 through 30. Here, just to remind you uh, uh, of what is told uh, to us by Jesus in the parable. Verse 25. Now, that his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. Now that's like right out of a film. I don't know if you can see it in your mind's eye, but here is this guy, the older son dutifully serving his father. He had been working all day in the field and he comes to the house. And I, I have this image in my mind, you know, he's looking up the hill, you know, he's got a sieve in his hand, he's probably sweating, you know, after laboring the entire day. And here's the music. And I suspect that he suspects the worst. I suspect that he knows that his brother's come home. And he knows that his father's a kind of softy and has uh, taken him back. And so he doesn't even go in. He just stays outside. Has one of the servants come. What's going on in there? He kind of knows what's going on. But his suspicions are confirmed. And so he refuses to go in at this point. Now, do you feel for this guy? Honestly, do you feel for this guy? I kind of feel for this guy. This is a guy who does what's right. 
This is a guy who does what's right even when he doesn't want to do what's right. <laughs> this is a guy who spends his time, you know, saying, you know, it's the right thing to do. I'm going to do it even though I don't want to. I want to honor my father. I want to do what he uh, tells me to do because that's just the right thing to do. He's a rule keeper and kind of a bookkeeper. And the thing with rule keepers and bookkeepers is, is they're often, well, they're a little touchy when it comes to who gets uh, treated well. They often feel like uh, they've been overlooked, slighted. And that comes right out in this story, doesn't it? He says uh, to his father, where was my party? You know, I mean, I, I do the right thing and I don't get the fatted calf. I don't get, you know, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, encouraged to have my friends over for a big potluck, you know, with lots of dancing and so forth. Instead, uh, I'm just taking for granted. I'm just taking for granted around here. No one, no one cares about me. Now, the problem with the older brother is that he suffers from the same problem as the younger brother, but in sort of a slightly different way. He's, he thinks like a slave. His, his younger brother thought like a slave, and he thinks like a slave. He doesn't think like a son. If he thought of himself in the way a son should think of himself, he wouldn't need to be informed by his father that everything his father had belongs to him. You want a calf? You got all the calves. <laughs> They're all yours. This is not like, you know, payday around here. This whole estate, what's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. It reminds me, you know, of the joke, uh, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. <laughs> but here, it's a, the real deal. What belongs to the father belongs to the oldest son because literally everything that remains at this point is his by means of inheritance. But he doesn't think in those terms. Instead, he's thinking about this uh, demonstration of grace and how unfair it is. Now, I think that it's safe to say that this parable is directed at a certain group of people who really identify, or at least Jesus identified, with the older son. If you look back at the, the first three verses of chapter 15, which is the preamble to the three great lost parables, the lost coin the, uh, and the lost sheep and then the lost son, we see these words. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable and the one after that, and the one after that. So Jesus has the Pharisees in his sights when he tells this parable. Now, let's move on to the Father now because I think uh, in the very largest sense, everything else and everyone else in the parable finds his place within the framework of the Father's uh, actions in the story. And the verses that uh, we see the, the, uh, the father addressing uh, his sons are verses 22 through 24, where he addresses the younger son, and then in 
verses 31 and 32, where he addresses the older son. Let's take a look at the very first of those, verses 22 and 23. Uh, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. So that's his response to the repentance that is on display with regard to his younger son. And then with regard to his older son, he says in verse 31, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. Now, when we read uh, the, uh, the parable of uh, you know, the prodigal son, uh, there are a number of things that we take for granted. And I think one of the things that, we, that it's easy for us to overlook or uh, take for granted is uh, the father's gracious and forgiving character. But uh, it really was in the rights, uh, it was within the purview of the father's rights to extract punishment or to inflict punishment upon uh, rebellious sons. Taking you back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, I just want to, I, I want to use this as a, a way to, to illustrate just how, how Patious and thorough the rights of a father and a mother were in Israel. And uh, I think with this in mind, in the back of your minds, it uh, will help you to understand just how, how sort of profound and, and really uh, revolutionary in a way the parable of the prodigal son was when Jesus to told the parable to the Pharisees and those who were listening in. Back in uh, chapter 21 of Deuteronomy, this is what we're told beginning in verse 18, following right after the inheritance of the firstborn. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him uh, out to the elders of the city at the gate, the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, that's what fathers had a right to do. That didn't mean that they had to do it. And in this case, certainly that's not what this father did. This father had a different calculus. He had a different way of kind of keeping the books. And he was gracious as he dealt with his sons because he was looking to secure something that can't be secured in the way that we normally think of uh, you know, our goods and our, our interests being secured in this world. What he was after was something more valuable than the farm. He was after something that was more valuable than the, the goods that his younger son had squandered. What he was after was his son. And what we see in the story is that even though both of the brothers thought like slaves and, and were expecting to be treated in a way that slaves really ought to sort of have in mind when they're dealing with a master. 
what they were dealing with was not a master but a father who understood that the, the value of a redeemed son is worth the farm. And that, I think, makes all the difference in terms of how we appraise not only our own lives, but how we appraise the various characters in the story. So there, there, are, there are ways you can behave slavishly. And when we behave slavishly, we're, we're living beneath our, our position as sons and daughters in the house of our God. What our God cherishes is you and me. And because of that, he's willing to uh, put up with a lot in order to, to secure what's truly valuable, which is, as I noted, you and me. Now, back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, and I want to conclude with just a few thoughts. Hopefully I can pull some things together here. Deuteronomy chapter 21, there's, as, as I've noted, there are these, these uh, series of, of laws related to inheritance and rebellion. But note that at the very end of that chapter, verses 22 through 23, we have this uh, passage. And, it's, and, it, and it reads, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him in the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. I can't help but think that when Jesus crafted this parable and told it, he didn't have that passage, that 21st chapter from Deuteronomy, in the back of his mind. There's a series of things that we're told about in that chapter. And eventually, at the very end of the chapter, we get to that, that passage that many people, Christians and the Apostle Paul, note, point toward the kind of death that our Lord Jesus would die for us. And Jesus, of course, is our older brother. Very different older brother than the older brother in this story, right? In fact, our older brother, Christ, um, rather than uh, resent the grace that his father extends to us, is the very means by which that grace is extended to us. Jesus doesn't say, why are you giving those people the fatted calf, and why are you celebrating when they finally come to their senses and see that, that they're just miserable without you? Why? Why, you know, we don't see that with Christ at all. In fact, what with Christ, what we see is, let me pay for this. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, keep the books in the same way that the older brother in the story keeps the books. In fact, not only does he pay the price, in other words, giving away his own, you know, what, what is rightfully his so that uh, we can benefit he shares with us his inheritance. In this story, the inheritance of the younger son is squandered. From this point on, the oldest son is essentially the one who is going to receive the entire estate. And that's really the case for you and me. Our inheritance was squandered by our, our father, Adam. 
And the only way that we have anything today is if we find ourselves in Christ, the one who is the heir of all things. That's why it's so important to be in Christ, because if you are not in Christ, you are outside, not only you know, the grace of God, but everything that is, is connected to God. So in order to have anything at all, you have to be in Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ. So it's our connection to Christ that secures eternal life for us, but also secures for us everything, all things that are good that God wants us to know and enjoy. So it's through our better, older brother that we know the grace of God. Not in spite of our older brother, but through our older brother, we know the grace of God. Now, I know that a lot of folks are concerned, particularly those who don't know the grace of God, that uh, grace uh, is something that is scandalous because it, it seems to imply that people could get away with something. That there's some, there's some uh, I guess, loophole in reality that will allow people to, to do things that deserve punishment, but they get away without being punished. But is that actually what grace should, uh, should imply to us? Or is there another way of thinking about it? Does God keep the books in a way that we failed to understand? I think that what we can say with confidence based on Scripture is that no one, well, let me put it this way, all debts will be paid. Every debt will be paid. The question is not whether they will be paid or not. The question is, who is doing the paying? Either Christ pays for it all, or you take responsibility for yourself. I've got some advice. You don't want to pay those debts. <laughs> um, you won't survive the ordeal. The only hope that we have is in our older brother's generosity, in the grace of God that we know through Jesus Christ. He is the better older brother. Let's pray. Father, this is such a difficult matter for us to fully apprehend and, and even know, understand uh, then I think we often think because it's so alien to the way things work in our world but you are not like us you are your ways are higher than our ways your thoughts are higher than our thoughts you are a God who transcends all things you are the one who made all things and you're the one for whom all things were made, and you're the one in whom all things hold together. And uh, because that's so, everything good that we enjoy in this life comes from you and is found in you and finds its way back to you. And we can't have those good things without you. And we're glad, Lord, that you are gracious to us and that you've made a way for us to, to come back into your good graces through Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to keep that in mind, that this isn't something that we can, that the good things, the good life that we want to enjoy 
uh, in, our, in, in this world and in the next. It's not something that we can somehow separate from you. It's a package deal. Help us to appreciate that. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh.